Hello, I'm Jason Ball, and this is Friends with Friends, the podcast where we discuss all 236 episodes of the TV show Friends, plus a couple of bonus episodes, and this is one of our bonus episodes. First, uh, let's say hi to Jackie and Vanessa. Hi, I'm Jackie, and I'm the biggest Friends fan, and I'm so excited for today's episode. <laughs> yes, I'm Vanessa Martinez, I'm the newbie in the group, and I am also excited. So this is a bonus episode with our new friend, Lauren Tom, who played Woo! Julie Ross's first girlfriend. Welcome, Lauren. Oh, thank you. Uh, my Willie wanted to make an appearance, too. Hi, Hi Willie! Hi, Willie! <laughs> oh, nice to be with you guys this morning. Nice to be with you, too. First, I just want to say a special little thanks. Uh, Lauren, I don't know if you guys know, also supports Project Angel Food, which I'm a big supporter of, too, and was part of our telethon. So I really wanted to thank you for your ongoing support of that. And, and how, how did you get involved in the, the organization? Oh, gosh. You know, back when I was in the 90s, uh, when they were uh, delivering meals for, for folks that had AIDS, uh, I was actually delivering meals with my friend once a week for four years, every Sunday. Wow. And uh, the guy that, that helped produce Joy Luck Club and, and um, was gay and had some friends that, that you know, were ill. And so he kind of looped me into it. And, and uh, we just found so much joy. And, and really kind of looked forward to it each week to see the same clients. Of course, you know, it had a lot of heartbreak too because, you know, sometimes they wouldn't make it. Um, that was like really early on. But um, it just it just felt like such important work and, and you could really feel like firsthand the kind of impact that, that you can have on someone else just from, you know, having, having a friendly face deliver a meal that was actually tailored to you that you know for all of your needs it really is food is love you know yeah I think, you know all of us can relate to that but uh yeah and so then i took a break and had kids and <laughs> <laughs> and and kind of looped back around into it when uh when i got on social media and realized that i could help in that way and um vesna uh, is a, a huge uh, she's part of Project Angel Food, sorry. And she's a huge um, part of the Supernatural family, that fandom. <laughs> right. and, and I was on that show. And, <laughs> and so um, she kind of uh, looped me and kind of reconnected me. And then my kids ended up volunteering uh, there for their uh, high school community service projects. And so I started to chop vegetables there. And, and um, actually, I thought it was Vesna that invited me into the telethon. Um, but then she actually said, no, it was actually, you have a, a, a bit of a fan at KPLA. <laughs> and I was like, who's that? You know, his name is Jason Ball, and he really likes friends and, and Joylet Club. So I was like, you're kidding. So, um, yeah. And so then she said, and you mentioned this um, you know, because somehow that slipped through the cracks. Uh, I think the first time that you tried to reach out to me, I didn't. I didn't get the message. Uh, okay. so, anyway, it was a really nice way to kind of come full circle, and um, here we are. And here we are. Here we are. <laughs> Let's get into it. What was it like on um, the being, you know, part of that? Because that you were, you started at the very end of season one, the, the beginning of season two. So, what was it like back in those days to be in that show and and kind of be Rachel's uh, arch nemesis? Even though you were very, you know, Julie's a very sweet character, and we all <laughs> everyone loved her. 
Uh, well, I have lots of conflicting feelings, but the main one was just pure joy. And I felt like it was such a blessing to be asked to be on that show right at that critical time when it was just taking off, too. Um, at, right at the end of season one is when people started to really get into it. And honest to God, this is a true story. So I, uh, the night before, uh, I, one night, let's just say, I was watching Friends, and David Schwimmer is from Chicago, and so am I. And so I thought he was really cute. And, um, you know, I was single then. And, and I, thought, I, I literally said out loud, oh, my gosh, it'd be so great to work with him some, someday. Right. I said that out loud. And then the next day I'm in the morning, I'm on the treadmill, like eating a donut at the same time. Cause it's like <laughs> calories in calories out and the phone rings and I picked it up and I'm still on the treadmill and then, and it was my agent. And she said, how would you feel about, you know, having an arc on the show friends? And I went, what? wait, wait, I, Give me a second. Yes. Um, like I, I almost fell off the treadmill uh, because I couldn't believe what she was saying. And um, so I was super excited. And apparently the one of the directors from Friends, Gail Mancuso, um, had seen Joy Luck Club. And she knew that they um, were looking for someone who just uh, uh, kind of their essence was someone who's a nice person. Right, because uh -huh. that was the whole joke. That no matter how nice a person Julie was, Rachel was going to think she was a bitch, no matter. <laughs> right. Well, and that's the thing too. It's like Rachel. You know, the the storyline. You know, everybody wants them to get together, but then you come in, and it kind of prolongs that. So, I mean, knowing that storyline, how does that make you feel? Well, you know, I kind of got the lay of the land. I, I knew what the whole arc was from the beginning and that I was only going to be there for six or seven episodes. But even so, like at the end, when when like we it doesn't work out, I felt like I was being broken up with <laughs> like that. They were, my family was kicking me out of the house to go, to go to college or something. Shh, Willie, quiet. Lily wants to be on the show too. I'm so sorry. <laughs> he gets anxious, you know, COVID. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So, so anyway, it was it, knowing that arc. It really didn't quite help me emotionally when it was time to leave because the other, um, you know, so mostly joy. But the other difficult part was that the fans were so invested in Rachel and Ross getting together that we taped the show live, right? And and so. The audience actually booed me when I oh. when I was um, you know when I came out. No and, way. Um, yeah, and it was just like as as any actor will tell you, it's not really why we go into this <laughs> to be booed. Um, That's so awful. And and so I knew like what it was about, but still, it was like really hard to because live, you know. Taping a show live is really wonderful because it feels very much like theater, which is the way that I started. And the air is really alive and you get that immediate feedback. And then the writers can tell right away if a joke isn't working. And then they literally will come on the floor and say, all right, say this instead. <laughs> so you have to be kind of like quick on your feet. And, and um, so it was really wonderful to have that really electric energy alive like that. But um, they really wanted Rachel and Ross to get together. So like, I was just sunk in that way. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, I wanted Rachel and Ross to get together. So. 
<laughs> but I, I read that they were actually worried that the that the audience would pull more for Julie and Ross because you you were so so good at it in such a great role and and such a nice you know and such a nice person too. Oh, you're so sweet. I, you know, I don't know if if uh, that has any truth in it, but <laughs> but I'll take it anyway. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, it's it's just, it was just such a blessing um, to be on that show. I was um, I was really nervous when I first um, joined. Of course, it was like my first day of school, and it happened to be my birthday, my very first day of rehearsal. And so Courtney Cox, God bless her, she she just was so friendly and reached out in such a way that she suggested um, the cast taking me to lunch uh, during our lunch break. And they have, you know, like a private room in the cafeteria there on the lot where it had like white tablecloths. It was like a sit down thing with these giant <laughs> menus and everything. And, and the whole cast came and they literally, it felt like, uh, I mean, you know, they, they were arm in arm walking down the street on the lot. It's like you, you couldn't make that up. Like, I, I feel like because the show was just like really taking off like a skyrocket, I think sometimes, you know, a, a wonderful thing can feel like a crisis as much as a, a bad thing can can feel like that. And so like when you win the lottery, that's it's like almost too much to take. And so I feel like they really bonded together and became those best friends like that it became real uh -huh. because they're like oh my god we're on this ride together here we go you know and and so that's what it felt like but but the beautiful thing is and this is all something i remembered throughout my career is that uh, they really welcomed their guest cast in such it's a wonderful way because it can be so insular when you're that tight with your group and um, the way that they made me feel included, uh, I, you know, really have a lot of gratitude for. And I remembered that going forward when, when I was a regular and then trying to welcome. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is, you know, the land of COVID. It's like, what are we going to do? You know? right. but, so you were the first kind of uh, relationship a long-term story arc with a with a member who wasn't one of the core friends but was kind of brought it in and you were also the first you know non-white person uh, actor on the show too so how was how did you, how was that was it, you know it was important to have that representation the show was criticized for not having more representation in that so you were the groundbreaker in, in that role too yeah yeah that's a great um question because i i really feel like you know, one of my greatest joys, just uh, um, being an actor and feeling like I'm contributing something uh, back to my community is uh, having Asian, young Asian women stop me on the street and say, you know, that's the first time I've ever seen myself on screen like that in that way, because Joy Luck Club had just come out as well. So, so the fact that we were changing that landscape was really important because I had nothing to do with it. I just happened to be cast in it. So I was lucky in that sense, but I felt so honored to be a part of um, someone else's, um, another human being's feeling that they're included, you know, like uh, that they're part of, that they can see themselves reflected uh, on screen. It, it's kind of very validating. And I, I didn't have that growing up. And, and uh, you know, hats off to the, producers too for acknowledging now that they could have had more people of color because I think like Aisha Taylor and me and myself I don't I don't know if there were too many others besides 
us to, right? Um, so, but you know, the whole conversation is happening now. It's all out there, and and I think that uh, the Asian community, especially, has to uh, take their hat off to the Black community because um, I feel like they have really paved the way for the rest of the people of color because they've been so vocal and so persistent and. You know, in the Asian culture, we're raised to be really polite and quiet and not to speak up. So it's even harder. We're like the the, the silent, silent minority, you know. And so I I just really uh, appreciate that they kind of got in there and may and we can just like ride in the wake a little bit of, of you know, also needing to fight for sure. Um, but it's slowly getting better, and I I think that uh, all these conversations that are happening right now need to be happening so i'm very supportive of it and and one thing you know i noticed too with joy luck club you know you played you know one sort of character but then when you went when you started in friends you played a different character you more of a not risque but more of you know there was more things that we've talked about that weren't talked about that were being tested on friends was there any hesitation you know in your background or given like your you know, your family or if your your parents saw or anything like that, you know, that particular part where Ross and Julie were going to go into the apartment and, you know, get together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh, that's hilarious. Because, you know, in Asian culture, at least in a traditional Asian culture, the way that I was raised, you know, education is the most important. So, you know, you're supposed to be a doctor or a lawyer or something like that, not an actress. Actor was like right next to, can I say this? Yes. <laughs> Prostitute. Yeah. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> and, so, and so, you know, like for me to, to really, my, my father basically gave me one year to prove myself, to see, it, you know, if I had enough talent to get anywhere. And if not, I was supposed to quit the business. This was the deal we made. And I was only 17 also. Um, and become a dental hygienist. <laughs> Well, thank goodness you didn't do that. Right. <laughs> and marry a nice dentist. Um, but that was in that year, movie. you got cast in uh, a chorus line as Connie. Oh, my gosh. You've done your homework, Jason. <laughs> chorus yeah. line, my favorite musical of all time. So I think it's amazing that you were in the national tour and then you were on Broadway as Connie. What was that like? Are you sure you're not related to my mom? Because <laughs> you're like my best fan ever. You, you knew I was in Chorus Line, you know. And I just can't get over it. Um, but but that was like freaking also one of these drop-ins from the universe of a little gift in my lap. I mean, I was I was super super shy, and and I couldn't really act or sing, but I could really dance well because I spent all of my time at the dance studio because I was so shy. But that was a, a great way for me to express myself artistically because I didn't have to talk. Mm. And and so, um, of course, I came through town and through Chicago and my friends took me there because I was really young and, and I didn't and naive and I didn't really know what I was doing. But they hired me and then they, they gave me some acting lessons and some voice coaching on the road. And then um, I needed to turn 18 and and uh, for and then I made my debut on the road and then I came back to New York and did it for a couple of years. So, um, you know, this, the sad thing, you know, life is like this sometimes. The greatest thing that happened to me and the worst thing that happened to me happened at the very exact moment where I, 
I got course line. I was about to make my debut on Broadway. My dad was about to fly to Manhattan to see my opening night and he died. Oh my Can you believe that? Oh my goodness. Yeah, you. I'm sure he was very proud of you though. Yes. I just got chills. I, you know, I feel like I, I've really been working hard to try to make him proud of me, especially because he was gone, you know, but, uh, that was really something, uh, you know, you can't, you can't make this stuff up sometimes. Um, it's just the way life rolls. And I feel like, you know, this time right now is, is such a, it, it has also some wonderful moments and some really horrible, like the most difficult time that we could be going through. So mm-hmm. I'm really glad that we're doing this kind of thing right now in this moment to try to, you know, lift people up for half an hour to see <laughs> if we can get um, a few smiles and laughs together because it's it is so difficult mm-hmm. um but uh hey you know we're part of this human it sounds so cliche but we really are all in it together and and there's something really beautiful about that and and it's like asking us to dig deep and make changes that that i feel like individually each one of us are required to make in some bizarrely personal way um it, i i just uh like I, I, I feel a lot of gratitude too right now. I'm sorry, this is sort of rambly. No, it's no, good. It's good. Yeah. So oh. in preparation for this, we all rewatched uh, Joy Luck Club to you know have a conversation with you about it, and we're just so in love with Lena and her mom's story, and so it was so sad but so sweet at the same time. And you know the the advice that the mother gives Lena in you know that crazy house, the get away from this slanted house. <laughs> what was that like working with working with all those amazing Asian women in this role? That was you know probably one of the few movies that has com- you know complete or almost complete Asian cast. Yeah, it, it was really it was really an amazing experience, and and Amy Tan was there with us every day, who wrote the book, and it, it felt a little bit daunting because we knew that the book had sold millions of copies, and so that there, there were people were really wanting this to be good, and and um, I, I'm still really close to all four of the daughters, that not so much the moms, just because they're not in, on social media as much and technology, you know, but, uh, you know, they're, they've become really close friends and, and we have gotten through so much together and um, we're actually trying to cook up something together. Oh. But I won't, I won't say yet. On our own. Yeah. I know, I know. It's It's been, it'll be really fun if we can pull it off. And, um, yeah, it, it just was, um, I remember um, Wayne Wang talking about like which, asking us which character we related to the most and we all had read the book. And so I um, talked about this a little in that panel you saw, Jason, but you know, just that I really related to Lena. And then I happened to be, have the good fortune of sort of looking like Franz Nguyen, which is <laughs> like a huge compliment. <laughs> Not really, but we're both really tiny and we have small faces and tiny features. I think that's why, like he was trying to match everybody up with people who looked like they could actually be mother and daughter in real life. And so, you know, first he wanted to find some actors that were good enough, but then also that would look like one another. And so, um, and and Ron Bass, the screenwriter was there. Like I just felt so much support. And, uh, you know, Wayne Wang had all of these, uh, 
he's very visual, really, really visual. So I don't know if you noticed, but each character like had their own um, uh, season. So spring, oh. summer, fall, winter, and the color mm -hmm. scheme and everything. And, and he was so, you know, because film is so like 90, what, 95% visual and then 5% auditory, whereas theater is the other way around, where it's all about the words and less about what you look like. Mm -hmm. So um, because it was so visual, literally, I had to get used to, like he would say, okay, Lauren, tilt your head a little to the right. Okay, now chin down. Okay. And then eyes up. Okay. And say the line. And I was like, Oh my God. I, I came from theater, you know, where everything is like a little bigger than it needs to be. And I, you know, like I've been always had to be toned down a little bit in, in, cause the camera's always so close. Uh -huh. So I, that was like a real lesson for me in just pulling everything in and uh -huh. just, uh, you know, trusting yourself and not being, too rubber faced. <laughs> it, was so it was so beautiful. I cried multiple times rewatching. It's just like I cried the first time, cried the second time. It was just a beautiful, beautiful movie. Oh, and it's, I hold it dear to my heart. Oh, yeah. So great to hear. And there was, yeah, there was some things that, you know, I watched it with my mom and I didn't really resonate with me only because I wasn't married yet. But now that I'm married and definitely seeing Lena's story, it was kind of like, okay, you know, I kind of get, you know, Lena, I kind of understand her oh. and kind of like what she's going through. I'm still working on it. Marriages <laughs> work every single day. Well, man, And also just, just feeling like uh, finding your voice. I don't exactly. know how that's been for you, but, but for me, it's been really an uphill battle just because yeah. of, of my whole training. Uh, the way I came in, super, super sensitive, but then also the training on top of it was like, you know, don't, don't speak up, just go along with the flow and don't make any waves. And so even, even this whole Black Lives Matter and, and all the things that are happening right now is required a lot of courage for, from me to, to really um, stand somewhere and speak out because I feel like, you know, if you're in the public eye, it's really hard. I just wish we could all dial the judgment down because I feel like sometimes, you know, you're not doing it the right way. You're doing it the wrong way. You're not doing enough. You're doing too much, you you know, and someone, everyone has an opinion on, on what you're doing and you're trying to just be a human being like everyone else and, and support in, in the way that you can, that feels the most comfortable. And also to kind of, re it reflects where you are in, in your involved, in your evolvement and also like what's really important to you. Like, I, I also fundraise for another organization called Homeboy Industries, which I cannot stop fundraising for because I am pulled, I am compelled, and just like you know Project Angel Food now too, to to really kind of put my energy out there for this cause. And I feel like we don't all have the same cause. And so can we please just like support one another saying, that's awesome that you're doing that. Like keep your foot on the gas pedal. We need that. Go instead of like you're bad for not, <laughs> you know, for not doing this enough or that enough, and you know we're all so different. And and yeah. anyway, that's really great advice. I mean, it, and it's true. Just you know, we should all be trying to support people, each other, and build each other up instead of trying to tear each other down. And it's it's sad that it's come to that. But how for people who don't know, explain what Homeboys uh, does and how did you get involved in it. 
Okay, so Homeboy Industries is like the largest gang intervention organization in the world. And what they do is they take people who have been formerly incarcerated and they go through an 18 month training program and they get all kinds of skills. They get their tattoos removed. They get anger management. They get off substance. They have substance abuse support. They can get their GED. And basically they end up leaving with their first job which is, you know, so important to one's self-esteem and giving back to the community. And um, it, it was founded by uh, Father Greg Boyle, who's this kick-ass, hilarious, amazing Jesuit priest. And he, you know, basically was giving mass in all like 25 different prisons and rotating them every weekend. And then basically handing out his card and saying, you know, when you're ready, give me a call. Because that's, of course, very key. Um, to to the success of their model is that the people are ready, but the way in which they're doing it with such deep love and, and not like punishing the crap out of people, they're having a 70% success rate and only 30% wow. recidivism rate. And the government has those numbers exactly reversed. So they have 70% going back to jail. Mm-hmm. It's, it doesn't work when you just punish the crap out of someone without giving them the skills and the support that they need to really like transform on a very deep level. So, it, you know, there's so much it, it's it's almost miraculous and joyous to be to uh, just witness the transformations that go on there. And, and they have like a, a cafe that you can visit. It's the headquarters. Well, not right now, but um, <laughs> down, downtown um, near Chinatown that is where their headquarters is. And they have um, homegirl cafe. So they have a garden and they grow a lot of their own food. And you can actually have a wonderful uh, meal there. And um, they, they have, they're in LAX now too. They have uh, a little, you know, stall where they sell their sandwiches and they're in Ralph's and they have all these different um, businesses that support uh, it's like it's only like 35 percent of what keeps them going but they do silk screening for t-shirts if you have like a company that needs that made they do solar panel they, they have the bakery so all of the homies start working in the bakery well, actually, they start in janitorial, <laughs> and then they, then they move to the bakery. But anyway, I, I could go on and on, but it's it's really a wonderful, wonderful um, organization to support. And it's really what, in my opinion, it's what the prisons should be should have been doing. Mm-hmm. Because once you get once you serve your time and you get out of prison, you a have the stigma of being a you know, an ex con, so it's harder to get jobs. You have no job skills because you spent the last whatever amount of years behind bars. So. It, it's hard to start your life over again. So what they're doing is really what you would think that the prisons would be doing to try to get people out and employed and, and, you know, productive members of society. So thank you for doing that. What made you get involved with that group? Oh, so I was just part of a book club with nine other moms and, (laughs) and, and one of the moms chose tattoos on the heart, which is uh, father Boyle's first book. If you're looking for something to read, it's, it's actually my favorite kind of entertainment because it'll make you laugh and or cry, sometimes both at the same time, <laughs> on every single page because the stories are heartbreaking, but he is so funny. Father Boyle is so funny. He, he keeps bringing you in and then you can go deeper with him and then he'll make you laugh again and then you can go deeper with him. So it's a beautiful book. And so in, uh, then we invited him to speak at my son's school. 
And so then I started to gradually just get to know them. So my little kids, when they were, I mean, when my kids were little, we've been doing their 5K, um, you know, every year for the past like 11 years. And so they started when they were really little uh, as the fundraiser. And then I started to just get more and more into it as we go. And and I want to make one more point, just dovetailing off of you, Jason, that, you know, this is a really good distinction that that it's not even about giving these folks a second chance at life. It's really kind of giving them a first chance because when you're born into the gang life, it's generational and you just you cannot get out of it until somebody stops it once and for all within that family. And so that's why it's it's so important to even, you know, Anyway, I, I I really believe in it, and and then afterwards we can talk, Jason. T. What's the uh, name of the book again? Father Boyle's book. It's called um, Tattoos on the Heart. Tattoos on the Heart. Okay, we'll check right. that out. And then there's another one too called Barking to the Choir. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. And then he's he's uh, writing his third one now. Yes, he's an amazing person. So th that's amazing work that you're doing there too. So thank you for doing that. Thank you. Oh, gosh. It's so my joy and pleasure. Like, I had so much fun on that telethon, and I have to really take my hats off to to everyone who was involved in putting that. That was phenomenally well run. I mean, like, you guys are pros. You make everybody else look <laughs> like amateurs. I don't know. It was such a success, too, right? How are you and your family doing in uh, with, with COVID-19 and staying at home? Well, you know, I always like to joke that, you know, because I'm such an introvert that my life has changed about 5%. <laughs> but um, that's not really true. But but I, I one of the great things is to have my boys home. They're, they're 16 and 19. And so I, I'm actually kind of a really early empty nester because my younger one is a hockey goalie. And he went to play, uh, 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 so sorry, hockey at a boarding school in Connecticut. So wow. he actually left before my older one and oh, so wow. uh, it, it just was devastating to be an empty nester just so you know the guys are parents out there it's, it's not fun and then, and then um but so but having said that that's one of the perks where they're home and we're having these long ass dinners like three hours just like talking oh. and getting to know one another it's really kind of a beautiful time like where it can it's like much more connecting have um, they watched joy luck club or friends you know what? Um, they have gotten a lot of street cred because of Friends and drama <laughs> too. Um, and then two years ago, um, the Academy threw the Joy Luck Club a gigantic party to honor everybody. So we, you know, everyone came like Amy and Wayne and, and like Oliver Stone was there and all of our producers, the cast, you know, and, and then it was super fancy. We all got dressed up in, in you know, like tuxes and, and they had food. And then they had the screening at the Academy of the Film, which my kids got to see because it was the first time they'd ever seen it. And then we had a panel afterwards. Oh. And then um, there was a moderator and people could ask questions. It was such a beautiful gift that they gave us. Um, and and then I spent the entire time watching my kids watch the movie. It was really fun for me because I'd forgotten how much humor there is, uh -huh. and, and and that it kind of held up, 
even though it's so old. And I, gosh, I, I really appreciate that you guys all looked at it again for the, before this little interview. I mean, that's so sweet of you. And it shows what professionals you are, too. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so they've seen it and they've seen friends. And like I said, at school, they, they kind of get, uh, you know, they get some nice comments that their mom was a, a part of this. Well, that's cool. So I saw uh, uh, you. You did a recent book club with the with the other actresses that played the daughters and Amy Tan, who I'm a huge fan of. I think she's amazing. And when I rewatched it, I noticed for the first time that she's in the opening scene. You see her. She's one of the party guests. And I didn't realize that. Oh my god, I forgot that. Okay. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that was really neat. And then we had, there was someone else. Oh. I've had dogs my whole life, and, and there's a, a shot in the movie where the, the camera was on my back, so you couldn't see, but my dog was in my lap. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. No, no, it was really, it was a really such a special, special experience. And, and you guys all talked about when you went to the premiere and you brought your moms and your grandmothers and things, and you had a fun story, but it was your grandmother, right? Yeah, it was my grandma. My grandma is like this. She was this four foot ten, like kick ass, tiny, tiny little tank. And she, she literally was talking at the screen through the entire movie. She was like, why everybody crying? You know, like, hey, fuck up. It's not so bad. I see worse. You know? and, and so when, when we were at the premiere, they, the ushers were standing there with little packets of Kleenex to give people, like, as if to say, this is going to be a tearjerker. You're going to need this. And so my grandmother like snapped at the guy saying, why do you think I need that? <laughs> Cry baby. He goes, no, no, no. And I said, grandma, just take it. It's free. She goes, oh, and then she just like took it and put it in her purse. <laughs> and then she's like in the middle of, um, in the screening, you know, there's a Chinese little snack treat called moi. And it's, it's like a dried sour yet sweet prune thing with a giant pit in the middle of it and it's they're each individually wrapped in cellophane so so she decided that she was going to have that snack in the middle of the movie she broke she like had these little um plastic grocery bags that were very thin like the kind in the produce section that she would take from the grocery store save and keep some of them in her wallet Right, so she pulls out one of these from her wallet. She shakes it open, then she opens this the moi. She puts it in her mouth, and then you can hear her clacking the pit back and forth. And I, I was like this. Okay, I'm leaving now. <laughs> I, I just, was, I literally like sank down in my seat because I was like, Grandma, shh, shh. It was just like with the dog, you know, like shh. And, and so, so that was like the whole experience. But God love her, you know. It was really cool to have her there and my mom too. I mean, That's amazing. yeah. <laughs> that was funny. And then um, I had also read that the movie kind of the joy luck club was also kind of similar to the game of mahjong like the directors kind of i guess um made the movie kind of resembling the game is that oh, true gosh you know what i don't know that aspect of it but i i imagine that that would be true just because mahjong was such a an important part of amy's life and and the way in that she kind of threaded um the stories together by going back to that Mahjong game 
my, my grandmother used to play mahjong too. I grew up like with images of her playing at that table constantly. I, I never did though myself, but so I'm not really aware of that aspect of it, but it wouldn't surprise me because there were so many elements that were deeply thought out. Like I was telling you with the color schemes and everything and, and uh, it, it meant a lot to the people that were working on it. You've also had a huge voiceover acting career. You're in King of the Hill, Futurama, Superman. What's what's that like? That's it's. I'm sure it's fun acting, but it's going to be very different than. You know, yeah, this not- is like such an interesting topic. It's again like a very complicated, tricky topic too that you're bringing up. Just because, you know, as as a person of color, and I've been in the voiceover world for since the '90s. Um, it's been such a blessing for me as a person of color to play any part that that would be put in front of me if I could pull it off. So I've done 98-year-old Jewish women. I've done five-year-old black boy. I've done, you know, like uh, anything. And it was so freeing uh, because I've been a person who's, you know, been constrained a lot with the kinds of parts I could go up for. So in the voiceover world, I just never experienced any of that. If, if the people who are creating it felt like they bought it, then um, let's go, you know, but now it's, it's so, you know, it's so hard because uh, everything is so politically correct. And I really do understand, <sighs> you know, uh, that whole movement that, that like, you don't want to be taking away uh, job opportunities from, from the people who should be playing those parts. I get it. But then again, like my friend, Phil Lamar, who, who is black and he is plays Samurai Jack, which is a Japanese character. <laughs> it's gotten so much black. And I'm like, would you please stop step, stepping on my friend? Because like that was a huge gift that he got that job. It's hard enough as you know a person of color to get a job. So, so please don't come down so hard on him for taking that job. Like I, I felt like he was the best person for, for that role. It's like, don't blame him. If you're going to blame, blame the person that maybe chose, you, you know, like the, the creators, they get to choose what they're hearing. If it sounds right to what they imagined. Right. So it's really hard to say, you know, um, you're out of your integrity for not doing this because it, it may not be like that for that person. That person might have a different sense of integrity than you. And, and, um, so I, I just think that, uh, we, again, it, it seems like the theme of this morning. I feel like I wish we could all just dial down our judgment a bit. Like everything that's happening is correct. But mm-hmm. please like make, don't make, oh, I know what it is. There's no more nuance in, in, in what's happening out there. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's either black or white. You're either horrible or you're a hero, like a hero or a zero. Like, you know, there's, it's complicated. Uh-huh. And and so, like, I think that to just give people the benefit of the doubt that that we're all doing the best we can from where we're standing, um, hopefully. Um, but uh, it's been it's been so much fun, especially in, in 2008 when we had that recession, and now um, because all the studios are shut down. I'm on a show called Goliath too right now, <laughs> which we're not shooting, obviously. <laughs> but. Um, but the voiceover world is still going. And so that's been my saving grace. And then also I had two kids. So I was literally like 
nursing them and still working in the studio. I remember one time, like literally like holding my baby like this and then saying the lines at the same time. <laughs> like, you know, it's been a beautiful world because honestly, I've never met one jerk the entire time I've been in the voiceover world. I don't know why that is. It just, it, it attracts the most down to earth people that don't have like huge egos. It just is, you know, and I can't really say that for the on-screen. <laughs> I really met some jerks, you know, but, um, but it just doesn't, I, I think there's something about the voiceover world that doesn't allow that. Like you're kicked out if you're going to be like that, you know? Mm. And, and so, um, you know, it's it's been really great to, to be able to keep uh, working and, and stay afloat uh, with the voiceover work, you know. Well, that's great. You, yeah, you've done it all. I mean, Broadway, movies, television <laughs> shows, voiceover work. Is there something that you enjoy doing more? Uh, I love I love mixing it up. I love doing something funny and then something really dr dramatic. Like Supernatural, I got to kill someone like I'm five feet tall like no one ever lets me be a badass <laughs> that was super fun and, and, and yet, you know and then there are other times when I'm just um I like to mix it up so I, I like to do all a variety of different things and I really miss live theater I would love to do I'm putting that out in the universe. I would Put love that to out in the universe. <laughs> well, it works for you. <laughs> like it has in the past. Yeah. <laughs> There's year. not a lot of live theater going on right now, but yeah, our Broadway shows and our, our live theater for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us this morning. Yes, uh, thank you. Oh gosh, I had so much fun with you guys. Thank you. Thank you. So Bye. 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 All right. The next episode is I, I really enjoy the next episode. Coming up uh, on Friends with Friends, we're gonna talk about the the one with the lesbian wedding. Carol and Susan get married. I'm interested, very interested to see how they handle all of that. And then there are some really funny parts in this episode too. Yes, a lot to talk about in this episode because of stuff when it aired happened you know <laughs> but before you watch that make sure you subscribe to our podcast download it listen to it give us five star <laughs> uh, five stars and nice comments